0: Greetings, humans, young and old. Welcome back, or welcome for the first time to Playtime. My name is Andrew Barnett, and I am a child therapist who lives and works in beautiful Asheville, North Carolina. And this is a podcast dedicated to children and play therapy, coming at both of those things from a child-centered perspective. And today what I would like to talk about on Playtime is something that honestly might be the biggest societal ill that we are facing both as adults and as children, and that's boredom. We have never been more stimulated by so many different uh, ways of communication and Information and blah blah blah, and we have also perhaps never been more bored. And so many kids that I work with, if they were to name what their number one struggle in this life is, and we're not talking about right, like what the adults in a child's world have to say about what's going on, we're talking about. From the child's perspective, what is their biggest issue as a person or what emotion do they feel the most that they don't want to feel, that they don't like feeling? And for a lot of them, they name boredom. They struggle with boredom. And certainly depending on how you've been living in this pandemic or how different families have been living in this pandemic, there's been a greater deal of isolation for literally everyone there has been less community less connection in some places there wasn't a whole lot of that going on all that much to begin with but then you take perhaps the little that there was for some people away and a lot of these children are really bored and don't know what to do with themselves And for a full understanding of why human beings, or at least human beings here in the United States, are struggling with boredom, you'd probably be better off reading a David Foster Wallace novel or something. that, That might not be worth us getting into, and it's hard for me even to speak to how to help children at home when they're bored. But what I have noticed is that when a lot of children come into session, they can feel bored inside of the space. You know, if if your playroom is anything like mine and you're a play therapist, you, you have toys, you have your blocks, you have your dollhouse, you might have a sand tray, you've got your art supplies, you've got your doctor stuff, and you have like a couple aggressive toys, maybe like you have a pretty large number of toys and that's that's only a partial list, but in general most of the toys in a play therapy space are not very exciting. If you're a child-centered play therapist and you're building your toy room that way, your toys won't even, you won't even have anything that the child would recognize. They can't be like, oh, that's Spider-Man or oh, that's so-and-so because you just sort of have these characters that are, you might have like a policeman or a doctor or things like that, but you intentionally only have toys that the child is able to project themselves onto, to project a persona for that doctor, to project a persona for that police officer, and they can't just tap into, oh, that's Spider-Man, and I've seen Spider-Man before, so I'm just going to act out who Spider-Man is and other things I've seen. And, And, you know, sort of the thinking goes that when you're able to fully project yourself onto the toys in the space that you're bringing your unconscious into the session. And now we are working with the child's unconscious. And so because none of the toys in our playroom are intentionally exciting, it means that the toys in the room are intentionally not stimulating. That the child does have to bring themselves to the toys in the room to bring the toys to life and you you can feel the difference in a child in a play space between when their eyes light up and all of the toys in the room become alive and any of the toys that we have can become literally anything like they already have plugged in they're, they could be looking around like i need this i need that and they're getting the toys that they need to play out what they're gonna play out but the toys in that scenario are just placeholders for these things and they're unconscious they're essentially like creating their own dreamscape and putting that onto the toys and onto the room and all of that's coming from them. And I also have kids in my playroom all of the time who just look around at the toys in the room and all of the toys look dead to them. The toys look dead to them. They're like, I don't know what to do. Like, yes, I see that there's paint and yes, I see that there's a dollhouse and yes, I see that there's a sandbox and yes, I see that there's all these other kinds of things, but none of them feel alive to me speaking this from the perspective of the child, none of them feel alive to me and I don't feel engaged with any of them because when I'm looking or when that child is looking, they're not naturally stimulated by any of it. And I respect that. Right, I respect that. You're in a room with a strange adult, with a bunch of toy. Nothing lights up. Nothing reminds you of anything. the The adult in the room isn't moving the play towards something or trying to get you to be engaged with something necessarily. It's it's entirely up to you the, to fill the space. And I think kids' lives can be filled with a lot of stimulation from a variety of sources, and they. It's uncomfortable for whatever reason. It's uncomfortable. It takes a moment. There, There's some feelings even to work through, some discomfort to work through. And so I think when we choose toys, all right, speaking a lot about play therapy in particular this episode, but maybe that's, that's, maybe that's for the best. But when we choose toys for the space, there can be some nice middle ground toys, right? Like I love having a sand tray because it, it's something that kind of pulls you in a little bit a sand tray does you just want to put your hands in the sand and then you start putting different figures in the sand and before you know it you're playing you're playing and i like having a big old whiteboard in the room i like having art supplies paint in particular but but all of that to say that there are things that you can select that invite the child into relationship with and then they can start engaging with it in a variety of different ways, like toys that kind of loosen them up a little bit if they, if they need to be loosened up. And some kids don't, right? Some kids can dive right in. But this boredom, this looking out at the playroom, and it just all looks kind of dead. It's honestly at times one of the hardest things for me to work with. I start to feel anxious and uncomfortable when they can't bring themselves into the room. It's like, ah, we only got like this amount of time and I want to have them be engaged. And even if I'm not having those thoughts, I can just feel it a little like fluttering of anxiety inside of me. And it's helpful for me to then rescue myself by remembering. It's like, ah, they have to bring themselves into the space for it to work. They have to. I can do maybe like little things. It's like, oh, maybe I'm... Maybe I'm giving them a little bit too much attention right now. You know what? I'm just going to get out the crayons and a piece of paper. I'm just going to start swirling lines around or something. Or I'm just going to like pull a couple blocks off the shelf and just do a little bit of block building and take the attention off of them for a second. Or there there are ways that I can just like change the atmosphere. And maybe that's by tracking more. Being like, yeah, you're looking around and it's just not looking too inviting at the moment and then they like catch their eye on the whiteboard it's like ah but you're giving that whiteboard a long look and sometimes that can draw somebody in but sometimes that's a little bit too much for someone it's, you know if you've ever had your life narrated for you it's, it's like another person's communicating constantly that like I am watching you very closely And that's a really nice feeling to be held like that. It also can be a little bit claustrophobic, especially if you don't know that person particularly well. So we we play with our level of engagement to make the space inviting. If they're moving towards, we can move with them and towards. If they're seeming uncomfortable, we can pull ourselves back and allow them to enter the space more. But whenever I come at it from a place of anxiety, it was just like, Oh, I just want to try to find something for them to latch onto at the moment. Like that's that's not that's not a great space to be in. Like, yes, it's uncomfortable for them, and it's obviously uncomfortable for them, and it's a little bit uncomfortable for me too, but we can rest in that it's boring. And they will find ways. They will start moving towards things. The room will start to light up. They will start to play something. They will start to draw something. They'll start to talk about something. They'll start to build something. They'll begin the process of bringing themselves to the room. And when they bring themselves in, then they can project themselves onto the space. Then they're bringing their unconscious into the space. Then we start entering into their struggles and values and emotions and internal world. And then that internal world starts to evolve and change. And that only happens, first, when we've made a free and protected space. But second, when they're given the opportunity to move through their boredom on their terms and to start bringing their attention and themselves into the situation. And I'd love to say more about kids at home and how to work with kids with their boredom at home. I don't feel like I have a leg to stand on with that, I am working with myself in my own life on resting in my boredom and accepting my boredom and allowing the world that I exist in to come to life moment to moment. And so then I don't think I would be speaking with integrity if I were to uh, claim that I have any of that figured out. The world can be very stimulating sometimes, but I can say that with at least a lot of children that I've worked with, and maybe just in people generally, that everything can often be paired with its opposite. They come together. It's like a package. And, and a lot of kids I know that struggle with boredom also struggle with some degree of terror or anxiety. But terror might be a better word for it. Bit large phobias of things. And I don't, I'm not going to say that that, that happens all the time. It's not like if you're working with a kid and they're struggling with boredom and lack of engagement in their world that you should be like, ah, but there's also some terror in here. But I also, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if that comes up and then being able to view those together as a package instead of two things that you would be Considering separately, not that we ever consider any symptoms anyone is having separately. They always come in a package and always are in some beautiful blend that is the individual who we're working with. And I think that I started the podcast by saying that boredom might be the biggest problem that children face. And I really, I really do mean that. I think that if we all found the world around us to be alive and interesting and engaging, or if we were all able to find rest inside of ourselves that didn't look like mindlessly disassociating or consuming some kind of screen that's stimulating if if we were just able to claim that level of engagement and interest in our experience more often then who the hell knows what we would look like as a species and i think that the playroom does provide this unique container where there's not an expectation on the child to do something in particular. And there's no standard that they're trying to achieve. There's no right thing that they're supposed to be doing. And then on top of that, there's no electronics of any kind. There are no toys that are superheroes or that remind them of something that they've seen before. It's just them and us and us not leading the conversation, and they've got to bring themselves to it. And I say gotta, they don't got to, but many children do, and they discover new things about themselves when they do that. That alone I really do believe, can be huge for a person. They get to access more and different parts of themselves. They get to use us as a toy. They even get to use the clinician as a toy. They get some level of control over another adult for a period of time. It's like getting to create your own movie. Children love to play, and they get the opportunity to control the play 100% And I I hope there is some remedy for boredom in that. And that I think that when you have a child who is feeling bored less of the time, who is feeling more interested in their experience, who has access to more of themselves and therefore is able to bring more of themselves into their life, that that child will be less defensive and will be less reactive and will be a more pleasant person to be around. (laughs) And so I think a lot of therapeutic goals for children can be accomplished in just that, that weekly or however often you do therapy practice of this free and protected space for a child to bring their whole selves to. And those are all the words that are going to come out of my mouth on this episode of Playtime. Thank you for listening. If you would like to support the podcast, go to uh, Patreon.com/PlaytimePodcast or the support the show link in the short show in the show notes to contribute for as little as a dollar a month. So of course, it is offered for free, and in the spirit of the gift, like all podcasts, uh, head to BarnetChildTherapy.com to see more of my work, including the child-centered children's book series, and yeah, I'll catch you all next time.